believe in yourself Cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing Don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up during the Great Depression in Madison Heights, Michigan. She married her late husband, John, in 1947, and they had a 69-year love affair. In 1947, they opened an ice cream shop in Lexington, Michigan, and in 1956, they opened their first chicken shack. Today, 66 years later, she's the treasurer and chairman of the Board of Chicken Shack, which consists of 23 locations. A shining example of the greatest generation, her name, Paola Sobel. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasool, this is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to Iola Sobek. 66 years ago, her and her husband John, late husband John, started the first chicken shack. So fans... Fasten your seatbelts. You're in for a treat. <laughs> Mrs. Sobeck, welcome. It's an honor to have you. Thank you very much, Jack. Let's start by talking about your childhood, your mom and your dad. Well, my mother and dad were um, great people, very poor. My father worked at uh, Ford Motor Company. And um, my mother, uh, many years later, worked at a, a laundry for 25 cents an hour. So when these kids today think that they're underpaid and overworked, they should have talked to my mother. <laughs> but um, uh, growing up was difficult. But, you know, as a child, you don't ever realize that. You know, you just do what has to be done. And as a family, you always work together. And my mother and dad, since they came from very poor beginnings, they wanted to have the biggest house on the block. And today, that house is still there. And my father tore down a house in Detroit many years ago. And uh, I suppose I was about, I don't know, maybe 10 years old, something like that. And my brother and I, my father went down and tore the house down, and he would build, he would bring the bricks back, and my brother and I cleaned every brick in that house. And it was a game. You know, it wasn't like work. It was like, you know, 10 high, 10 across, 10, and who could beat who? And I don't, you know, kids today, they, they look at everything as work, and you know, I think it was Mark Twain that had said, if you really love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's how I feel about the chicken jack. Um, John John had a gift of taste. And uh, we really have a product that we're very, very proud of. And mostly I'm proud of the family. We work together as a group. And any job that has to be done, it doesn't matter what job it is. Everybody pitches in and does the, does what has to be done. So... What's but, the biggest thing, Iola, you learned from Mom, and what's the biggest thing you learned from Dad? Um, from my father, I learned um, uh, everything had to be done right. If you start a job, you finish the job. And he'd always stand there and he'd say, are you proud of that job? Well, then maybe you better stick with it until you are. And he was uh, he was a very much disciplinarian, but he was... He was a very loving father, and my mother was a homemaker, 
and uh, she worked very hard also. But she had kind of an inferiority complex because she only had the third or fourth grade in school, and um, it that that bothered her a lot in her lifetime. All right, the Second World War started for America, December seventh, nineteen forty-one for almost four years. What was life like in America during the Second World War? Oh, well, um, well, I was still in school, and uh, of course I, hadn't, I didn't meet John. He, he fought four years in the, in, in the Navy. He really wanted to be a Marine, and he was in line to go into the Marines, and as he got up there, they, that was the last one, so he jumped over into the uh, Navy line and went in the Navy, but... Uh, that was long before I met him, because he was from Pennsylvania, and I'm from Michigan, so. All right, what was life like for you during those war years? Um, well, like I said, my mother and dad wanted to build the biggest house on the block, and so we lived in the basement, and my mother and dad rented the, the upstairs of the house. There was always renters in our house. I don't ever remember a time when it was just our family. It was, uh, uh, as they progressed and could pay a little more on the house, uh, then they took over the first floor. But there was always some renter in the house to help pay for the... It, it was tough. Speaking it was really tough. of renters, how did you ever meet John Sobeck? Well, that's a wonderful story, too. Um, it just so happened that one of the rooms was vacant, and my mother had gone up to Royal Oak, where they have the, uh, where the kids from the Air Force or whatever they are, the Army, would go in and find out where there'd be a good place to stay. And my mother was uh, always immaculate, a very, very clean person. And so she told them, and she said, okay, I have a room for two men that could come in and rent this one room. And right after that, John and Andy walked in, and they came, and he became one of the roomers at the house. And I was secretary to a superintendent of schools at that time, so I had the day job. And I didn't meet John right away, and it didn't matter because he was just another person in the house. And uh, he worked the afternoon shift at Briggs. He was a tool and die operator. And uh, so that's how, that's how... He met. But did you start dating him right when he got into that house? As no, 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 no. How did that come about? Well, you can close your eyes and you can see him. Um, my mother and dad had taken my brother to the movies that night. And I had just had my shower. I was sitting in my house coat on. And my, at that time, you know, you curled your hair with a little pin curls. This is curls. a family show, Iola. Be careful. I know. <laughs> and, and so... In walks John, and he starts up the stairs, and he turns around, and he said, um, Do you know Betty Foster? And I said, Yes, I do. He said, Well, she and Andy, that was his buddy, were going to go to Wall Lake for the, you know, where they had that old Ferris wheel and all that. And I said, Oh, that's nice. And he said, um, Would you like to go? And I said, Well, I asked my mom. Now I'm 18. And you would never think of going out with someone. And I hadn't really never gone out with John. But he was just, uh, at that time, <laughs> many years ago, he was very quiet. And uh, I had a girlfriend who lived down at the end of the street at 12 Mile. 
and I would walk her home sometimes. And so John would say, I, I'll walk with you. And I'd say, suit yourself. And we got to talking, and it's amazing when you have a conversation with someone and you get to know him, and, and in our walking and our talking, um, he's a pretty nice guy. But uh, he was also Catholic and uh, smoked cigars. So two strikes. Well, <laughs> that was the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just the beginning of this yeah, uh, show. <laughs> so well, <laughs> come back for the next episode because if there was ever a contest of quick-wittedness and one-liners, and the finalists were Dick Purton and Iola Sobek. Friends, my money is on Iola Sobek. <laughs> and I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasula, with I... Ola Sobek, in 1947, you and John get married. He's 23, you're 18. You start a 69-year love affair. You adore the guy. Anybody that's around you walks away saying, she adores it. It's like puppy love still. <laughs> but you first thing you guys did was you opened an ice cream shop in Lexington, Michigan, 1947. That was in the middle of nowhere. How'd that come to be? Well, John worked with uh, uh, Frank Untai down in uh, Briggs Manufacturing. And in the course of uh, working, the conversation was, you know, there's some guys here that's been laid off 26 years, and I'm going to talk to Iowa, and maybe we should go into business. And he said, well, my dad has a place up in Lexington, and he made um, folding chairs, wooden folding chairs. And he said, why don't you go up and talk to my dad, and maybe you and I could um, build a place on his property. And so we drove up to see Mr. Van Lowe, and uh, he said, sure, not a problem. So we were going to build this building on his property. And, of course, we would never do that today, but oh, that was okay. So, oh, we were all excited, and we came home, and it was wonderful. And so we ordered a a Mills machine. It was a frozen custard machine. And it was $1,800. And we were supposed to sign on the paper. Well, John and I, neither one had credit. And so I said, well, that's okay. I'll ask my dad, because I think my dad will sign for me. But you have to remember that I converted to Catholicism, and they were Southern Baptists, and it didn't go too well. So anyway, um, I asked Dad, and he said, no, I will not sign for you. And I said, Pa. And he said, you made your bed. Figure it out. So I said, okay. So John and I drove back up to Lexington, and we talked to Mr. Van Lowe, and he said, bring me the paper. I'll sign for you. Hmm. And that was, I've always felt that the hand of God has always been over John and I. And that was just one of the many times that it had, it had happened. And so on our honeymoon, we built this building, and... Uh, we had a pretty successful season. We had like a, an app, you know, we took a few days off of our regular work to, to go up there. And um, it worked out pretty good. And then there was a, another little old couple, like, like we are now, and they, wa they, they wanted to have something to do. So they were going to buy the store. And from that, we made enough money that we came back down. And that's where we bought the, the um, property on Woodward. So. 1956, you started another venture. It's gone 
pretty well, too. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Chicken Shack, 1956. Yes. But every mom in 1956, it was breaded chicken, fried chicken. Why did you guys go with broasted chicken? How and why? Well, after... Um we used to open the store, the little uh, J&J ice cream place, and at the end of the day, <clears throat> we would go down to Bill's Hideout, which is where Westbourne is now, and we would have a pork sandwich. And Mr. Bill Herman was the one who had the... Uh, um, uh, he sold the broster, the brosters from Michigan, Indiana, Illinois. I mean, he was... He, so John and he got talking. And, Come on, John, I'll take you in the back of the kitchen. I'll show you how this machine works. Well, the chicken was good. So John said, well, that's the best chicken. So this would take us through the winter from our ice cream place. So that was a good idea. So that's how that got started. And then we bought two brosters, and two brosters weren't enough. And then we had four brosters, and it just went on from there. So, But John had a gift of taste. And after the, uh, when fall came, uh, the chicken was turning out dark, and John wasn't... John was a perfectionist. He always thought it, everything should be perfect, and you never served anyone anything that you wouldn't eat. So uh, he started fooling around, making his own marinade, and <laughs> we threw out a lot of chicken. But uh, to this day, I mean, that's what makes our our chicken different from everybody else's is because it has a flavor, and the chicken is always fresh, and it's always cooked to order, and I'm very proud of it. 23 stores, 200-plus teammates. Every week, they used 19 tons of chicken, 20 tons of hand-cut potatoes, and 5 tons of cabbage. So in a year, they use 1,000 tons of chicken. That's over 2 million pounds of chicken alone. And they sell about 165,000 pieces of chicken <laughs> each week. When you get chicken, which pieces do you eat? I like the dark meat. Okay. All right. <laughs> and you get the dark meat. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Not only chicken, but you sell ribs, seafood, all of the attachments, different sauces, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And you'll sell party trays, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Whatever they want, that's what they get. I do, I do think that we have the market on uh, party orders. I don't think there's anyone in the area, and I'm not being, I don't want to brag too much, but I don't think anyone can put the chicken and the coleslaw and the potatoes and do the job that we do. I'm very proud of, uh, of our accomplishment there. So anytime you have a party, I mean, they call up and, you know, you just tell us how many people you have and we'll figure it out for you. www.chickenshack.com Mm -hmm. Let me say that again, www.chickenshack.com. Okay, John Sobeck, the Colonel Sanders of Detroit. He passed August of 2016 at 92. Um, we had dinner together. Yes, we did. A couple of months ago. That was, was very nice. Dinner. Thank you. And Iola... You glowed when you talk about John Sobeck. It honestly, like puppy love. It, it's a love affair. Um, he was a great guy. You were married to him 69 years. Mm-hmm. 
you said he was a perfectionist. It's like that's he why, was perfect. That's why he married me. <laughs> <laughs> what was the key? Um, I think our backgrounds. I think he came from a very poor background, and his mother died when he was 12. And then a few years later, his father died. His father married another woman with five children, and they lived on a farm, and they had absolutely, totally nothing. So, uh, and I came from a background of very poor, but very hardworking people. And uh, I think we always had the ability to have a conversation. And I can remember one instant when we were uh, having a conversation, and John said, well, you don't think like I do. And I said, that's right, because if I always think like you, what do you need me for? So it was always... And there have been time in our lives when we had very different opinions. But I believe very strongly that if you have patience, everything works out. So when John would really be strong in what he believed, it was always uh, the next day I'd say, now, John, I want to tell you how I feel. And then he would listen. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And that's where my mother and dad had their problems. They, They... Never had patience, <laughs> I guess. And John would always say, yes, dear. No, no, you didn't know John. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Iola Sobek, and I'm Jack Rasula. <laughs> Some people have told me, you don't know Jack, Jack. <laughs> right. And this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Krasula. We're with Iola Sobek, the matriarch of the Sobek family. 66 years, she's been involved with Chicken Check. She goes to work every day. 66 years. I think you just turned 95. Yes. You had four children, Claudette, who's passed, Mark, Michelle, Cheryl, Mark, has polio. Correct. Two great sons that are very involved with the business, Neil and Phil. They're grandsons. I'm sorry. Two son- Mark has two sons. Oh, okay. Okay? Okay. Tell us about Mark. Uh, Mark is a terrific guy. Um, he weighed nine and a half pounds when he was born. He would have been uh, Man Mountain Dean. But um, in the summer, in the fall of 1955 um, he wasn't feeling well and we had taken him to the doctor and he said he had an ear infection and gave him a shot of pol- or, uh, penicillin or whatever and so during the course of the weekend he got so that he couldn't stand and so he, I called the doctor on, on Monday and, and the gal said well if he's as sick as you say he is bring him over so we took him over to uh, the doctor, and he stood him up in uh, in the office and let go of him, and he fell flat on his face. He said, he has encephalitis. Take him down to the hospital. And I said, what is that? He says, an incurable disease of the brain. This was the 24th of October. He was due to have his polio shot the 1st of November. So we took him down to Children's, 
and we waited in a big waiting room. And uh, finally we got in, and the doctor came in and tested him, and he said, your, your son has poliomyelitis, and he'll never walk again. And at that time, it wasn't like now. We could only visit Mark two hours. And so you can just imagine a child being two years of age and um, having to leave him. It was very difficult. But uh, through the grace of God, um, he is uh, involved in the business, very much so, and um, has two great sons, and uh, I'm very proud of Mark. And I think... um, his greatest attribute is he has um, an attitude. He always said, if you have a bad attitude, you have two problems. And so he was always taught, don't feel sorry for yourself. And if you fall, get up. Because I'm not always going to be there to pick you up. Hmm. And uh, that was a tough time in our life. And John took it very hard. He used to uh, sit in the chair and rock. How can this happen? How can this? How can my son be so sick? And uh, it was it was a terrible, terrible time in our life. But through it all, you you survive. And Mark today is a great guy, and uh, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of Mark. You love your family, and your family is everything to you. Yes. Why so? What else is there worth in life? What else is there worth in life? You know, if everybody would be proud of their family, it would be a whole different world. And John and I lived in a world where it was a lot different than it is today. And you would go out and you would help your neighbor. And it, it wasn't you weren't helping him so that, you know, they would pay you to do something. You did it because you were a neighbor or a friend or a, or someone. And today it's so different. Everybody is so wrapped up in themselves that, um, and I, I, don't, I don't know, it's a, I feel sorry. I feel sorry for a lot of the kids today because they, they, they don't have that. You know, I can remember one instance... And I think Philip will verify. He worked very hard up at the Woodward store. And I don't know, Philip, if you'll remember or not, but he wanted a raise or something. And John said, um, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, you have to work for something because then you will have pride in what you have. And if I keep giving, then I will take that away from you. And I don't ever want to do that. And I think that's so true today. You have to... You have to be proud of what you've done, and that's that was instilled in me as a small child. You, you just, and you don't work for the almighty dollar. And uh, I forget what year it was, but Kentucky Fried went right down the street from the Chicken Shack, and everybody told John, "Oh, he said, boy, you you met your maker now. He said you're going to be out of business." And John said, "No, I'm not, because I'm better than Kentucky Fried. And once they taste my chicken." They're not going to be satisfied with theirs. And that's that's how John was. All right. If you want to learn more, www.chickenshack.com. Go to the website. One of the first things you see is a little intro from you, Iola Sobek. 
when John and I started Chicken Shack, we never could have imagined it would grow to mean so much to so many people. Now, listen to this. It's more than just a restaurant or food. It's family, mine and yours, and community. You've got 200 people, young people. How do you propagate that culture throughout the organization still today? It's really a challenge because, um, in fact, every payday I always put a little insert in their envelope to try to motivate them to, uh, to stop and think about why you're even working. What is the point? You know, I mean, and uh, I think we have some employees that have been with us for 20, 25, 30 years, and, and uh, I'm very proud of that. And we try to take care of them like we take care of our family. And uh, I don't know, it's just, just who we are. You have one employee who's been working not 25 or 30, but 66. And when you brush your teeth in the morning, you're looking at that employee. Uh, <laughs> all right. You are a shining example of the greatest generation. When you're in town, you go to work every day. It doesn't work, though. I don't know. Why? Well, in the first place, I think we're I am blessed by God that I am strong and healthy and I can take care of myself. And not to belittle anyone who is not taking care of themselves. I don't mean it that way. But to be able to get up in the morning, make my breakfast take my shower, take care of myself, drive the car, and look after a family, I feel I'm blessed. And I don't ever want to forget it, and I give thanks for it every day. And I think sometimes today, there's not too many people that really give thanks for what they have. You know, they ought to stop and think, you know. We can see, we can hear, we can walk, we can talk. And it's just, everything is taken so for granted, and it's just... Uh, that's just the way I feel about it. I don't know. If there's somebody that's listening that says, wow, Isla, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm useless. What do you say to that person tonight? Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. And I, I, I have no use for anyone who'd feel sorry for themselves. How dare you? God gives everybody a talent. We're not all, that's why everybody has a different talent. It's like, uh, you know, it's putting something together. Everybody can't do the same thing or you would never accomplish anything. So in, in my lifetime, I was, uh, I was always John's buddy. If John was doing a project of any kind, it was like, get me the screwdriver, do this, run that. And I can remember very vividly over at one of our stores and, and this, now, this kid was probably 16, 17 years old, and there was some work to be done, and he asked for a Phillips screwdriver. And the, the kid said, Philip isn't here. Can you imagine? He doesn't know that there's a screwdriver called Philip. It's like, wow. But years ago, in school, they had a shop for, for guys, and they had home ec for, for girls. And now it's all thrown together, and nobody knows what the hell they're doing. It's just sad. Iola. 
you not only handed John the screwdriver, I think the first story you mixed the cement and yeah. he laid the brick. Yes, okay, we so did. Come on. Yeah. And we built that store up on Woodward in 1948. And there was nothing there. In a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, when you enter the store on Woodward, the first thing you see is a little placard. Yes. It's entitled, Whose Job? Yes. So I'd like to ask our producer, Mark Blackwell, to read it for us. Yes, please. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. That was entitled, Whose Job? When we come back, we're going to ask the matriarch, what does that mean? Okay. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Rizzula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spoholm. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Iola Solbeck. And I say this in a very respectful way. She is a bulldozer going through a field of mushrooms. <laughs> Anybody that. who knew Eleanor Jositis, they could be twist, sisters. Okay? <laughs> so Mark Blackwell just gave us whose job. It's a placard when you enter the Woodward store. What does that say to us? Um, well, if anyone really reads it, maybe they can identify with someone that's in there. Maybe they could be um, anybody, somebody, or nobody. Take your pick. But in order to accomplish anything, I think you have to do many things. It isn't my job or your job. It's a job that has to be done, and so... Who cares what credit is given? It's a job, you just do it, and you get it done. And that's how I was always taught as a child, you know. Your generation was the greatest generation. Yes, it was. 
you guys epitomized you lived sacrifice versus us today. Why was that so successful that everybody sacrificed? Well, I think in my generation, if you wanted something, you had to work for it. And after you worked for it, you treasured it. It was something that you had worked hard for, and so therefore you, you took very good care of it. And I think there are children today, and I'm speaking for, I am blessed to have great-grandchildren. And I have lived to see my great-grandson graduate from college, which is something I don't think too many people can say. But I think in, in their lifetime, they have never known sacrifice. They have never known want. And I think it isn't anyone's fault. It just is something that has happened. Because now I'm talking for my grandsons and, and my great-grandchildren. It isn't their fault that they have aunts, uncles, and, and a lot of people. And so at Christmas or any other time, birthdays, they have more gifts than they know what to do with. And that's just the way it is. As I was a child, you were, you were lucky to maybe go to Brown's Creamery and have a, a banana split for your birthday. But it's a whole different ballgame out there. And I, I feel sorry sometimes for the kids that they don't have that because that's, uh, it's very important. To, to be able to stand up and say, this is a job that I was given, and I've done it well, and I, I can take care of myself. Whereas I think the generation now, there's so many, and I, I think it started out to be something good. I, I think there were people that really needed help, but in, in the helping, they got so much help that why should they work? They may as well just keep right on getting, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and, it, and that's what kind of destroyed the ability to, to want to do something for yourself. Why bother? You know, you have someone to say, well, why would you work when you, they're going to give you that anyway, so you're the dumb one for working. But then you don't have the pride of saying that you've done it yourself. And uh, especially with John. John was, was gifted with the gift of taste. And uh, John was really a very humble man. He... I mean, he, he loved God, and he thought he was very blessed to be in the situation where he, he could make it on his own. And it never never appeared, never even, he never ever thought that God was not always on our side. I mean, it was always, we were blessed, and we never took that for granted. So uh, John was brilliant. He married you. <laughs> I don't know about that. But. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. You have had tremendous blessings in life. Yes. And you've given back. All right? But you've had some huge setbacks, too. But I think that's life. Everyone has it. Everyone has setbacks. It's how you approach the setback. It's, you know, if you went through life and, and you never had to really stumble and fall, would you know the glory of getting up? You know, I mean, it's just... It's just in you, I think, and um, I, um, that's that's the way John and I went through life. So, and we traveled a lot. We loved to travel. We love, and any time that we would go, we've taken our grandsons, our, our kids, and they've been all over the world. In fact, John and I went around the world on the Concord, and it was just fabulous. Because then you see how other people live, and then you look back and you say, "Wow, God put me in a." 
wonderful spot. You know, how could I complain about anything? Because I'm so blessed. And I, I think I, I don't think the kids today look at other places and see how blessed we are in, in America. What role has faith played in your life? A major part. A major part. Without it, I don't know. Uh, especially uh, in the sickness. I mean, you can be successful in business. It's not a big deal. Anyone can be successful in business. All you have to be is better than the next guy. But in life, if you have a sickness, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. That's just me. <laughs> All right. As our time winds down this evening, what advice do you give to our young listeners? I think you should always think of yourself as an individual. And God has given you a certain talent. Maybe you don't know what that talent is yet. But in, once you find it, share it. And that's... Uh, that's the name of the game, is always to share. I also bet God has blessed you with phenomenal talents, many. And boy, you've used them a 10 out of 10. So thanks for all you've done. Thanks for all you continue to do. You're a blessing. Thanks for having me. It's been nice being here. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Rasool. Thanks for listening, and make it a great week, because with God... Anything is possible. Spawn.